I had a former youth student of ours who's now a parent reach out with a question about how to teach your kids about the demonic and spiritual realm in a way that they will grasp and understand. She was running into an issue with her son where they've they've tried to clean up their home spiritually and cut out, you know, movies that may open doors to demonic things and things like that, but she's found that her son has been a bit resistant to the idea and just isn't quite grasping the purpose behind it all. So we're in the season of October, Halloween. There's a lot of stuff going on in the nation. I feel like witchcraft is more present and prevalent than, and blatant than ever before. And so with it being kind of a trendy thing these days, we decided it was a good idea to address both her question and potentially yours on how to deal with the spirit realm and spiritual things with your kids, how to talk to them in a healthy place. So... Let's jump into this episode. I brought my husband on as my special guest as you guys unanimously voted to bring on the great theologian, Stephen Samuel. So let's dive in. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. gosh, before we dive into the episode, I had to make sure to share this exciting news with you that Java with Jen officially has a merch line and a coffee line. Holla! You can go grab a snuggly sweatshirt, a trendy graphic tee, and a super cool coffee mug to go with your delicious, organic, and naturally sourced coffee from Didami Coffee, who have so generously partnered with me for our coffee line. There are multiple styles in the merch store, which will give you something inspirational and on trend to wear every day of the week designed by yours truly and there are workout clothes phone cases mugs so many options as well as a dark and medium roast coffee so much goodness you do not want to miss this that's at javawithgenmerch.com javawithgenmerch.com go check it out and if you order something throw it in your stories on social media and tag me so we can see what you're loving that's javawithgenmerch.com go check it out Also, stay tuned for the life hack at the very end where I share a little device that I recently purchased that, oh my gosh, it's magic to your complexion. It uses red light technology, vibration, like uh, skin stimulation, whatever, and it has improved my complexion already in just a week of use. It's incredible. It's natural and healthy and good for your skin and it literally heals your skin. The before and afters I saw online were crazy. And so that's at the end in the life hack segment. All right, now that we've gotten through all of our announcements for today, um, Stephen is my guest for this episode, and we just wanted to address, you know, how to, how to teach your kids about the spiritual realm in a healthy way and how to address, you know, all these things that are popular and trendy in our culture. And so, first of all, Stephen, let's define what is the demonic realm, spiritual warfare, all of that kind of stuff, and why is it even a part of our vocabulary or our life as believers? Yeah, I think... Um, Basic definition first. Um, well, it's part of our life because we're spiritual beings. Everybody's not just a human in the sense of just natural being. We're spiritual beings. And so to ignore the spiritual aspect of who we are is uh, foolish. So we're spiritual beings and we have uh, access to the spirit realm. Uh, whether it's through Jesus or through any other medium, we have access to the spirit realm. And so... Of course, there's a lot of entertainment built around spiritism and spiritual things, everything from angels to demons to 
concepts of heaven, concepts of hell. That's all outside of the natural realm. So that's why we encounter it. It's just not fictitious, you know, fairy tale stuff. We live in a spirit realm as well as a natural realm. Yeah. So now angels and demons, some people might be thinking, I thought those were just like animated characters or like almost like mythical figures. Um, How do I know they're actually legit? Well, I mean, the witnesses of so many people, millions and millions of people, thousands and thousands of books been written, encounters with spiritual things. Um, I mean, every religious system yields itself to the spirit realm, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, they all yield to the reality of the spirit realm. And they answer the fundamental questions of, of life, you know, where do we come from? begins with a creation experience. If you're in Judaism, even Islam, Christianity, start in the spirit realm, creation. Um, where are we going after life? There's a spiritual dynamic. We're going into back into the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. And then why are we here? It's not just for the materialistic natural framework or just to survive. Our purpose has to go beyond this life. It's an eternity. So, um, and then why is there evil in the world, you know? If we're just mechanical uh, beings operating predestined or evolved humanity, then um, the concept of evil, that there's a will, and that will has a dynamic impact on people. Mm -hmm. And the choices we make, and some choices that are generational, tells us that there's a realm beyond just the here and now, existential now. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so what about as believers, as Christians, what gives us the right to think we have authority in the spirit realm. It's good. Um, well, believers or not, believers or not, God gave humanity the right over the spirit realm. Gave humanity the right of the spirit realm. You can reference even back to uh, when Cain murders Abel, right? And he's running from the Lord and he gets to the Lord, if you will, catches him or confronts him on the problem of why he killed his brother. And he said, sin lies at the door but you should rule over it. Mm-hmm. God speaking to Cain, who's not a believer, has no salvation experience or redemptive experience with the Lord. Because Jesus hadn't come yet. Because <laughs> Jesus hadn't come. And so Cain, the first murderer, uh, yielding to that spirit of, of, of the nature of hatred and, and against his brother, a murdering spirit, if you will. And I'll talk a little more about that. But the Lord directs him that he should have rule over it. Okay. So. Just because something in the spirit realm doesn't mean it has full control over you or authority over you, but That's we'll good. talk more about that. Now, as, as believers in the New Testament. Right. So in believers, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And then he directs us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to, I'm sorry, go make disciples of all, all nations, teaching them to do the things that he's commanded us. And then in Mark's gospel, he says, you know, to cast out demons, heal the sick, um, and those, you know, raise the, dead. raise the dead, those definitive demonstrations of supernatural power. And of course, in the early church, we see the, the apostles, one of the biggest things they dealt with was the demonic, how to yeah. break the power of the demonic, whether it's in communities, cities, families. So, yeah, and Jesus, Jesus, I mean, Jesus did that a lot. Yep. And he told us that we would do even greater things than he did. And he yep. cast out legions of demons. And, and one thing we'll get into in a minute is that Jesus never operated like he was intimidated. Right. Never demonstrated fear in the face of demonic activity. And mm-hmm. that's important. That's an important thing to keep in mind. Okay, so now that we've established kind of um, the basic of, of, you know, what it is, why we have authority in that place, how in the world do we explain this to our kids 
in a way that does not scare them, but teaches them Mm -hmm. how to step into that authority. Because I know when I was a kid, (laughs) I remember uh, being at church. It was like a Saturday night and we were watching this movie. And I don't even remember what movie it was, but it was meant to demonstrate I'm sure your authority as a believer to cast out demons. All I remember is this woman in her kitchen having some kind of like demonic manifestation and someone coming in. Y'all, my husband is so noisy. He's so fidgety and noisy. I'm like making faces at him. Anyways. um, And I just remember her like having this, it was like a, uh, what's it called when they cast out a demon? It's an exorcism. Exorcism, yeah. So you're watching this exorcism happen. And I was like seven, six or seven, and it's dark in the room. I just remember picking my feet up off the floor and tucking them up underneath me because I was afraid something was going to grab my ankles. And I just remember being, that was my introduction to the spiritual realm (laughs) and demonic activity. It was terrifying. So how do we teach our kids and not traumatize them, not make them overly demonically mindful not scare them now we will get into practicals at the end so this one just simply let's like let's skim it simply like how do we introduce this without yeah. scaring our kids you know i think prayer time is a great way to introduce kids to the spirit realm mm-hmm. who are we talking to we're talking to jesus where is he at? where's he at we can't see him he's in the spirit realm and so prayer time is an easy way we're accessing the spirit realm we're accessing the father through jesus mm-hmm. the authority that jesus has given us and so we don't, and the scripture is very clear how to access the spirit realm. We don't access angels. We don't access the dead. We're not to pray to the dead. We're not to pray to, you know, people that, that you know, saints or whatever uh, that have gone on. We're not supposed to pray to our ancestors. We're supposed to access only Jesus mm-hmm. and the Father. And when I say through Jesus, it means the authority by which Jesus has given us to pray to the Father. That's how we're accessing the spirit realm. And so... When Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and in earth have been given to me, he's not talking about in the clouds and on the ground. He's talking about in the spirit realm and in the natural realm. And so um, when we pray, that's the first way to kind of introduce your kids. Hey, you're talking to the Lord, and this is where he is. He's in the spirit realm. He's right with us. We just can't see him because he's in a dimension beyond our capacity to see. That's good. And I think also making sure that your kids understand they're a three-part being. Mm-hmm. They have a body and defining that for them. I didn't even learn that till college. Obviously, I knew I had a body, but I didn't understand there was a difference between my soul and my spirit. I always thought those were just interchangeable words. Yeah. And when you help your kids understand, they have an inner man that is 100% them. And then they have an inner man where the Holy Spirit has come to reside mm-hmm. and, uh, and that their spirit is distinct from their soul. And I think intuitively at first they might, they might struggle to understand it at first possibly, but intuitively we all do know we have a spirit, you know, your spirit speaks to you from the inside. And so, um, they'll click with it and it'll resonate with them at some point. But, you know, I think back, if you look back at church history, it wasn't really until the Gnostic heresies came out that people actually separated the body, the soul, and the spirit, the early church and, and history is, uh, or philosophy up to that point, Greek philosophy, um, believed you were one, you were singular unit, you were body, soul, and spirit, and they all were one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was not a, you know, this is spiritual, this is natural, right? There's mm-hmm. the Hebrew uh, rabbis, scholars would always allude to your person being triune in nature, that your body, your soul, and a, your body and a soul and a spirit, and spirit 
joined together. And so what affects your spirit, naturally you'll have like, you know, things like I hear something, I have goosebumps. Mm -hmm. That's a soulish response to something that you, you know, heard with the natural realms, sound waves across your ears, made you have a thought in your brain, chemical composition of, you know, thoughts processing, and then your body physically reacts to that. So I always understood they're so interwoven, there's not a separation, but it wasn't until, you know, 300 AD or so, the Gnostic heresies and those Greek ideas started separating the spirit and the soul and the body. And the teaching became that the body is evil, the soul is evil, and the spirit is good. Right. And then, you know, so many deviances of theology came out of that that were just so harmful to Christianity. Yeah. But the, the, the essence of who we are is demonstrated in who God is in that God's a triune being. You can't separate the Father and the Son and the Spirit, even though we know they're three distinct people you can't look at one person out and say well this is true about god but it's not true about jesus or this is true about the holy spirit but it's not true about jesus so they're triune in nature and so we made in the image of god are triune in nature so you can't say well listen i love your personality but i hate the way you look <laughs> people are you know, they're going to be like what are you talking about why i look is who i am or you can say well you have a you're a beautiful person but, you know, just there's something about your spirit I don't like. And, of course, that's going to be offensive and your body's going to react to that. You know, you'll have a scowl on your face or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. So you're interwoven. All that to say, when we teach our kids, it's probably not healthy to teach them that they're three separate distinct parts. They're one person. Like who they are, like my son, Judah, he's Judah all the way. Personality, the way he looks, the way he acts, the the everything about him attributes to the qualities that we you know, in, in some called, this is who he is. This is Judah. And same thing, we teach our kids from a very early age that there is spirit being mm-hmm. housed in a body and they have a soul and uh, they're not just separate. Well, but I would say, I would say it helped me to learn that my soul and my spirit were, were different because mm-hmm. for the longest I did believe I was just all one thing and I didn't really pay much attention to the differentiation, but it helped break off a lot of shame mm-hmm. and confusion when in my flesh, in my soul, in my own will, mind, and emotions, I would struggle with something. Mm-hmm. And then some people feel like because they struggle, they're not fully saved. Yeah. But when I could recognize my spirit is 100% justified at salvation, Mm. And then, but my soul is being sanctified, being made mm-hmm. like Jesus. And so my soul is in process, but that's because it's the part of me that's under my will and my mm. control. And my responsibility is to bring my soul into submission to my spirit, mm. where my soul is becoming more like Jesus because I'm submitting my desires, submitting my will and my, um, the things in me that are not redeemed or that, you know, are, are carnal in nature and bringing that into submission to my spirit. So that helped me break off shame, recognizing that that's a journey. Like that, I'm always growing mm-hmm. in my soul, becoming made like Jesus, mm-hmm. while my spirit is 100% like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it helped me to realize yeah. I had a responsibility in that growth process, yeah. but it didn't mean I was not fully yeah. saved or yeah. whatever. So I did write a book about this. Yeah, yes, he did. Um, there's a book, the book I've got, uh, A Reason for Hope. There's this chapter in it called What's Happened. It's called Salvation. And so at salvation, the righteousness of God is put in us. God's spirit enters into our spirit. Uh, Paul says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So the Holy Spirit is fused into our spirit. Our spirit and the Holy Spirit become one spirit. That's what Paul teaches. That's what the whole point of salvation is. So the moment you're born again... There's a righteous nature that's put in you. Mm-hmm. Things that you used to think were okay, you all automatically have a repulsive 
response to sin. Mm-hmm. You used to, um, you know, be able to watch certain things. Now you can't watch them. You used to be able to talk a certain way. Now you feel convicted because inside of you is resident the Holy Spirit. So you are born again, not just your spirit, but your spirit, soul, and body are born again. Mm-hmm. But Paul in, implies in the epistles that there's a work to do in redeeming our soul, which means our mind, our will, and emotion. You have to begin to think like you're born again and train your thinking to yield to the voice of that Holy Spirit yeah. who is in you, right? So it's not like you have to become born again in your soul. It's you have to allow the redemption of Jesus to work through you yeah. as you obey what the Word of God teaches us. And that's why the scriptures are, are so powerful because they're there to condition our thinking yeah. as we obey the Word of God. So when the scriptures tell me, hey, these are the works of the flesh, you know, sexual immorality, anger, pride, malice, uh, outbursts of wrath, excuse me, outbursts of wrath, I refrain from those behaviors because they directly impact my soul's maturity level or growth level. If I yield to those behaviors, then I'm going to bring about the condemnation of sin and death in my body. And so... Yeah, and I feel like it's important that that dynamic is still something we're capable of because that's where we still have authority over our own self. God, when we got saved, he Mm -hmm. didn't take all authority in the way that we lose our free will. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have a free will means we still have the choice to submit to God, to obey God, to love God, to choose God. Mm -hmm. And that's where he rewards and honors those choices. And he's blessed by our choice to love him and obey him. Whereas if we were just robots, then there's no no reward for that because there'd be no choice, right? Yep. But we still have a choice. And so anyways, that kind of took us in a, in a direction. But so now you guys understand a little more about soul versus the spirit. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get back into the spirituality thing. So how would you describe a picture? I'll, I'll share a little story and then I want Stephen to share about healthy versus unhealthy spirituality. Because I have seen, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen both. And I've seen usually unhealthy spirituality is just a sign of immaturity, a sign of someone who hasn't. Um, grown into the an awareness mm-hmm. of their authority as a mm-hmm. son of God. So when I was in New Zealand on a missions trip as a teenager, mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember there was one night where there were some girls in our bunk room. It was like midnight, and they were talking about they were talking about demonic activity, and they were like, "Oh, I'm I'm seeing demons, and I'm feeling really attacked." And they were getting all wound up, mm-hmm. and they were like, "And I'm just gonna bind." And they were getting themselves so worked up, and so then they were like, "Okay, we dealt with it. We dealt with it." And then one of them would be like, "Nope, it's coming back. It's coming back." <laughs> and they would like get all worked up again, and it was like they were playing this game almost with their imagination and the spirit realm. And I just remember. By the end of it, we were all worked up. And part of me was like, I don't think this is right, but I don't, I don't know any better. And so after an hour of this, we finally run to our, uh, our team leader's room. And I remember we busted in there and her light was on and she'd had worship music playing and it was so peaceful. And all of us like calmed down immediately. And so we go in a room, we're like, it's so peaceful in here. She's like, what are you girls dealing with? And so we just told her about that. She goes, girls, that is not how this works. You have authority. You say the word, you Mm -hmm. deal with it, you move on. Mm -hmm. And so she demonstrated healthy spirituality Mm -hmm. because she recognized her authority and she had to teach us that playing games and running in circles and and almost glamorizing the fear factor is not healthy spirituality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, what would you say, Stephen, like that you see the most common that is kind of the dividing line between healthy versus unhealthy spiritual warfare? 
Well, that that's gonna take a long time. Because I kind of, I kind of yeah. almost don't even like the phrase spiritual warfare. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it like makes it bigger in people's heads yeah. than it needs well, to be. Well, in the concept, spiritual warfare comes from Paul's writings where he says, "We wrestle not against Ephesians chapter four or five. He says, "We wrestle not against prince of flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers." rulers of darkness, wicked things in high places. But if you look at that text, if you go like study that text, a lot of people think Paul's talking about demons, you know, floating around in the sky. He's really talking about demonic patterns of thinking that influence the behavior of people in authority and position and power. So this concept of, you know, there's this demon floating around over the top of this city and all the city people need to get together and and yell at it. Um, it's not really scriptural. What it is, is there's a systematic, uh, let me rephrase that, there's a common way of thinking over a region which the enemy is exploiting, but where does that demonic presence reside, if you will? It's in the minds of people. So let's, let's take, for example, a city that, you know, like I grew up in, in, in southeast Texas, and racism is a, is, was a big problem, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't ever say, well, there's a spirit of racism, but a lot of times, we in Pentecostal charismatic circles will look at a region and say, well, there's that spirit of this and spirit of that. What it is, is racism is a systematic, whether culturally implied or unimplied, way of thinking among a large group of people in one area, right? So let's say all the people in one area, they're racist against a specific people group or a specific race. The devil really doesn't have to do much. It's everybody has believed a lie that this people that they diminish or they feel is less than, they all think the same way. And so it's easy for the enemy, if he wants to, step in and cause hatred and strife and confusion. Mm -hmm. But really, people have given him that place. That's why Paul would later say in Ephesians, give no place to the devil. Mm -hmm. So uh, in spiritual warfare, we're not fighting... um, we're not fighting, you know, some nebulous cloud of demons somewhere. We're fighting the way that people think. And even in Ephesians where he talks about put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, the pathways of the devil. He's talking, where's those pathways? They're in our thinking, yeah. right? And so, uh, and I'm not saying there's not demons out there. There are demons out there. But the way that demons work is they manifest in people's behavior and mm-hmm. thinking. And so when we pray, we're praying for the minds of the unbeliever to be open to the light of the gospel, the eyes of the unbelievers to be open to the light of the gospel. And then when an unbeliever recognizes this thought process is not my thought process, this is for a lie from the enemy that I believed and given credence to, and he can cast down that vain imagination, then that's the end of spiritual warfare right there. That's the victory. Well, and yeah. even as you're saying that, I'm thinking of instances in scripture where I have seen warfare or battling against demons, and it's always angels that are doing that. It's angels that, like, the one where he said, you prayed and I was delayed for 21 sure. days or whatever it was because um, yeah. whoever it was, that the demonic yeah. Yeah, strong man so, that came up and that's unique. Him. And that's a unique story. Daniel and the prince of Persia, you know, battling, is praying for an answer. God sends him an answer. And then Michael, the archangel, is descending with the answer. Uh, and the prince of Persia is there. But you have to remember that context of that passage is in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. where the indwelling presence of God was not available to live inside of men. So they had to go to a priest, to a prophet, someone that could access the spirit realm, whose life was devoted to hearing God's voice. And there was a mediator between God and man. When Jesus comes, there is no longer a mediator between God and man. So when we're born again, if the Father wants to speak to us, he doesn't have to send an angel. He doesn't have to send a put us in a trance. He, we simply speaks to directly through our thoughts. Mm-hmm. There's no mediator between God and man. 
And so with that passage in, in Matthew 28, all authority Jesus has given to me, in the Greek, that passage, he literally says, all authority is given unto me, I therefore am sending you. The implication is I'm sending you with all that power and authority. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, it's a battle in our mind. It's not so much a battle in the physical realm. It's a battle in our way of thinking. And the only way to fight that battle is with the word of God. You know, when we read that passage in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, you know, take up the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. There's three different spots where he says, take this up, take this up, take this up. And he's speaking of the pieces of armor, if you will. Uh, but when you get to the word of God, he says, take up the, and the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And a lot, we're not fighting the devil with the word of God. As many people, you know, think, take up, you know, with a physical sword or a imaginary sword. And I'm fighting the devil with a sword. When he says, take up the, the word of God, he's meaning, he's saying, get the word of God in your thinking. And that's how you fight the devil. Like, so if I get attacked with, let's say, a spirit of fear, which is clearly um, defined there in Paul's letter to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So if, I, if I'm looking at that spirit of fear and I'm battling it, then the way I fight that with the word of God is I go to the passages of scripture that deal with fear, which is God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love and of sound mind. So how am I battling the, doing spiritual warfare against the spirit of fear? I'm quoting the word of God in my thoughts and with my mouth mm -hmm. against that thought process that produces anxiety, stress, fear, and then a physical reaction to that fear um, in my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's how I take up the word of God, the yeah. sword of spirit. And your brain, your brain actually processes what you say out loud more as truth and fact than just what you think. And so that's part of why it's important to actually put the word of God in your mouth is because your mouth is your vehicle of authority um, as believers and what your brain hears, just physically how you're wired, is your brain responds to the words that come out of your mouth as truth. And it will then respond. And uh, it's it, you can reprogram your brain more effectively by speaking out loud to yourself than just thinking things in your head. Yeah. Um, okay, so what about the fact that, like, what about these times when people are like, like I've seen prophets minister to people, and they're like, you've been attacked by just a spirit of grief. And, and literally in that moment, something will be broken off of people. I know mm -hmm. I've experienced where mm -hmm. I've felt attacked by a spirit of something, yeah. and it gets broken off in a moment. And so what, how would you speak to that dynamic? Yep. So um, if you go through the scriptures... Uh, Sorry, we're, go we're going deep into this whole stuff today, guys. We're going deep. <laughs> if you go to the scriptures, there's only about 16 spirits listed. 16 demonic spirits. I'm sorry. It, uh, 16 demonic spirits listed throughout the Old and New Testament. And so uh, Dr. Jerry Robinson, and he has a book called... And I think Jen has his book, A Strong Man's His Name, What's His Game? I was just going to write it yeah. down. Uh, that book, uh, he... It does so a pretty good, good job of defining these specific 16 spirits. Mm -hmm. I want to say there's 17, but I believe there's 16 spirits that he talks about. And so there are spirits that that are so, um, what's the word? They're so identified by their behavior that when people mimic that behavior, it's referred to in the scripture as so-and-so is under this kind of spirit. For example, uh, in the Old Testament, a famous one, a famous demonic spirit everybody likes to talk about is the spirit of Jezebel, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what is Jezebel? Jezebel was a, a Phoenician, Syrophoenician queen who married King Ahab, who was a you know Israeli, mm -hmm. and she had such an influence over him that she literally turned the nation to perversion, the Baal worship, and that kind of stuff. Now, Ahab had to allow her to do that. Yeah. Right. Israel had to allow that to happen. So it wasn't like she had some controlling power. 
she was placed into power. She was made the queen by Ahab. So, and her and the earmarks of a Jezebel spirit were basically earmarks of her personality, which can be detected in multiple various parts of the scripture, other personalities of the people. So it's like a, a personality panel, if you will, like all these traits are, uh, you know, the Jezebel spirit quickly gets close to leadership, like like you, they step in the door of the church and the next day they're best friends with the pastor. And you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. Right. Uh, that's kind of one of those traits of a Jezebel spirit where they want to, like they immediately leach onto leadership. They're drawn to power. Yeah. And they're, they're very flattering. They're very, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to be your best friend. I'm equipped in the ministry. I mean, I, as I'm saying this, I think of like numbers of people I've experienced <laughs> in my life. They're manipulating. They come up and they're very manipulating and they're very, they're really great salespeople. They're like, you know, I can really, every time you talk to them, you walk in with a certain way of thinking like, Hey, I want to address this issue. And you walk away and you think what just happened? I yeah. don't even understand yes. how they got out of this, you know? Uh, but that all those traits and qualities of Jezebel in the Old Testament context of that time and era of King Ahab. Um, later on, the scriptures speak of that Jezebel spirit. When you jump to Revelations and Jesus addresses the Jezebel spirit, you've allowed that woman, he says, Jezebel, to enter into your church. And he says, I'm going to judge her and I'm going to kill her children. Like, that's some pretty harsh language. But he realizes that that Jezebel spirit is out to destroy the prophets. That's one of the traits of Jezebel. She mm-hmm. tried to kill the prophet Elijah. Yeah. She raised right? up the prophets. And then she and killed stuff. the innocent, which was Naboth and his vineyard. Remember, Ahab wanted the vineyard, Naboth's vineyard. And she, you know, set it up, made a bunch of lies up about Naboth, brought him before the council, and then had him killed just to get the land. So that manipulative spirit, that's part of it. So all the traits were first identified in the person, actual person, Jezebel. But then when we see duplication of that personality throughout the scriptures, patterns. The, the Bible calls that a Jezebel spirit. Now, did it exist before Jezebel? Sure. Yeah. But it's just the most common one that, that um, kind of exemplifies the, the destruction that she did to the nation of Israel. Jesus later points to that and says, that same spirit is going to be in this such and such church. And in the, in the revelation, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to judge that spirit. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so back to this book that Dr. Um, what's his name? Okay, wait. So the original question was, uh-huh. okay, how do you explain the fact that if okay. if demonic warfare is just dealing with your thinking, how do you explain when people literally get delivered yeah. in a moment from a demonic influence? Sure. So it's both. It's both. It's in your thinking, but you have to know that there's a spirit involved that's influencing your thinking, Whispering right? Whispering lies. Whispering lies, telling you thoughts. So when you take a hold of that thought, and you say, this is not the truth anymore. I'm not going to listen to this lie. You'll physically feel, sometimes emotionally feel, if you will, the shift of that thing being broken. So there's 16 spirits that uh, Dr. Jerry Robinson speaks in that book, Strong Man's His Name, What's His Game? Mm -hmm. And I'll list them for you real quick. The first one is the spirit of divination. You see that in the book of Acts uh, 16, 16. Divination, which is like witchcraft. Yeah, divination, which is like witchcraft. Uh, so, like, right now we're in, we're in Halloween season, right? Mm-hmm. And that spirit of divinations, you know, the witches with the crystal ball. Uh, the spirit, the, the scriptures clearly speak to us, don't play with that stuff. Not because we're afraid of it, but because it's something that doesn't honor the Lord. Yeah. So, there's a spirit of divination. Uh, scriptures always speak to a, a familiar spirit. And that's kind of like, you probably, if you watch Lord of the Rings... Uh, the necromancer is a, a, div- a familiar spirit, a spirit that's a medium to this other world. So like palm readers, card readers, tarot card readers, those kind of guys, they're mediums to their spirit. Even some forms of yoga 
and you know meditation, transcendentalism, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. They the apex of that religious belief systems like Buddhism, Hinduism is to become so unified with the one spirit that you are now a medium to that realm of spirit back and forth. And so the scriptures tell us don't mess with that stuff because there's only one pathway into the spirit realm. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way to the father, right? One safe pathway. One safe pathway. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the way to the father. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And then he even goes on to say, you know, there are other people that come. They want to get you into the sheepfold or access to the shepherd, the father through other pathways. There's no other pathway. And that's kind of the, the clencher, if you will, to that universalistic idea, universalistic idea that, you know, everybody can, you know, access the Father through whatever, you know, some people pray to Buddha, but they're really praying to God. Some people pray to Krishna, but they're really praying to God. No, there's only one name given among men whereby, we, whereby which we may be saved. It's the name of Jesus or the access to God through Jesus. So that's the familiar spirit. The other spirit that's mentioned is uh, number three. Hit them lightly. Okay. Number three, the spirit of jealousy. And that one's kind of a tough one because a lot of times we think jealousy is just a human emotion. But when it gets to a place where, and you'll see this with all the spirits, that it usually begins as a human emotion or we have a, a, a sensitivity toward, you know, well, I don't like that person. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I just want to play around with this little, you know, whatever. I just want to go watch this movie. It has a little witchcraft in it. And it starts that way. That's the entry point. It's a doorway, it's if you innocent. will. It's And yeah, it's many times it's innocent. But if you keep entertaining that thought, then a systematic or a, a, a pattern of thinking starts kicking in, which is becomes demonic, right? Or access for the enemy to, or access that you give to the enemy to access your thinking. So there's a spirit of jealousy. There's a lying spirit. So there's a lying spirit. That's number four. The perverse spirit sounds like what it is. A spirit of haughtiness pride. Uh, or pride. Mm-hmm. A spirit of heaviness. You'll see that many times after the after loss grief. of a loved one. Yeah. Uh, where a season of grief is is reasonable. You know, a season of grief is expected, but then it goes on for years. Or depression. Know? Heaviness can yeah, be a depression as well. And, and and the pattern for that, and I'll say this real quick and move on. Uh, when Moses died, Joshua stood up and he said, I'm going to give you so many days to grieve. 30 days. 30 days or so to grieve. And that's wisdom. Like, I'm going to take the next two weeks or three weeks to just appreciate, celebrate the loss of a loved one. And then after that 30 days, it's over. But the spirit of heaviness will turn grief of the loss of someone, the loss of a job sometimes, the loss of uh, wealth or material things. And it'll drag it out for a long period of time. Okay, spirit of heaviness. Next one, uh, it's called the spirit of whoredoms, which is an old King James word, uh, but it's literally sexual perversion. So that's where you would kind of see prostitution, sexual immorality, uh, homosexuality, lesbianism. All those things are a spirit of whoredom, where it's all about fulfilling sexual lust. Again, it begins with carnal nature or you know, un- unbridled Just passion, mm-hmm. right? Unbridled sexual appetite, and then eventually becomes, I can't control this anymore. Pornography, those kind of things. Right, because everybody has a sexual appetite. Right. We all have to right. control it. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, and I'm glad you said because there's a danger sometimes where we look at someone that just has a natural appetite. Let's say they're, they just... They just have a higher sex drive. They have a higher sex drive, more testosterone. We think, well, that's demonic. It's not demonic. They just need to learn how to control it. Yeah. And now, can it become demonic? Sure. But that doesn't mean God gave mankind the sex drive, right? He gave men and women a sex drive. And so anything out of balance opens the door for the enemy to come. So okay. go, have, go have sex with your spouse after this. One. That's about it. <laughs> the next one, spirit of infirmity, uh, which Jesus spoke to that numerous times, like a spirit of infirmity. Then a deaf and dumb spirit. Which Infirmity being sickness, like ongoing sickness. There's always something sick in your body. Right, right. People that struggle, like they're, con- I, know, I won't say hypochondriacs, but just there's always a, a disease that's plaguing the family. Like, you know, there's like those families where somebody's always sick all the time. That's just could be, could be, not always, 
a spirit of infirmity. It yeah. could be they just have a bad diet and they don't know how to eat well, you know? Yeah. And so we don't want to always label something like this is, you know, right. demonic. Right. Um, and then there's this duff and dim spirit, which obviously is very clear. Uh, the spirit of bondage, right? And that's in um, Romans 6, 16, Romans 7, 23, Romans 8, 15, uh, 2 Peter 2, 19, where he speaks about the spirit of bondage, Right. Uh, and That's then, where you see like addiction. Someone can't get free from stuff. Yeah, where they're, I mean, even bondage to things that we would think, oh, this is okay. Like they're addicted to football or they're, you know, they're bound in this so much. So now it's controlling their family. It's mm-hmm. controlling their finances. Uh, you know, they, they start off gambling and then all of a sudden now they've lost everything. They're stuck yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, so then, and then number 12, the spirit of fear. Uh, Paul Tuck speaks about in Timothy, Second Timothy. Uh, a seducing spirit, and that's just not with a sexual idea, but a seducing spirit would be like drawing into like a cult or drawing into a, f- a false religion. or uh, You know, even somebody that's a Christian, they have a seducing spirit. They're always able to kind of trick and connive and get their way. Kind of like a Jezebel spirit, but not quite as strong, I think. Um, and then number 14, the spirit of Antichrist, which I personally, after studying the spirit of Antichrist, is I think is predominantly the spirit of Islam. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that says Jesus is not the Christ. That Paul defines the spirit of Antichrist says that when he comes, he will deny the Father and the Son. And there's only one system of religion uh, thinking that um, puts that at the forefront of their belief system is Islam. They do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. He's not God is not a Father. Jesus is not the Son. Spirit of Antichrist, and it's also expressed in lawlessness and uh, anti-Christian teaching, things like that, which you're seeing that kind of emerge in our culture now. Where yeah. if you're a Christian, you have to be on the defensive with your apologetics to really bust through that spirit. The spirit of error, John speaks of that uh, in First John 4. 4. Error meaning um, always making wrong, false, drawn to wrong choices and wrong beliefs? Well, it's false doctrines, somebody that's unteachable, somebody that's, you know, you, you tell them, hey, listen, this is what God's word says, and they just kind of have a completely uh, contrary way of thinking. So like a spirit of error. So let's somebody, somebody comes to me and we talk about well, tithing. That's a fun one. Tithing, right? Uh, well, you know, I know what the Bible says about tithing, but I feel like, you know, I want to give my tithe to the Red Cross. And you can say, show them clearly in the scripture, hey, this is where the tithe should go. It should come into the house of the Lord. So just Malachi. Oh, but I really feel like God wants me to do it this way. Or the, my favorite one, the Jesus I know would never say that. Well, what is that? That's a spirit of error, right? Yeah. They're ex, 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 making an excuse to believe a false doctrine, to yeah. believe a false teaching. You know, this exalting their thinking. About right. And, and usually that spirit of error, you see a lot of times when people are like, well, you know, the Bible isn't really the word of God. It's all these human people that wrote this. And without really doing the diligence of finding out how we got the Bible and the, the process that it went yeah. through to come become yeah. what it is in our hands today. So a spirit of error always questions authority, always questions the authority of the scripture, questions the authority of men of God, women of God, yeah. and spirit of error. Okay, number 16, the spirit of error. I mean, sorry, the spirit of poverty, which mm. sounds like what it is, spirit of poverty. And it's not just this people that operate in that spirit have no money. It's no matter how much money they have, they always talk like they're poor. They always act like I can't give enough, I can't do enough, I can't, I never have enough money. They're, you know, or they're always losing what they have. They're losing what, yeah. And and listen, the spirit of poverty is very dangerous in in the context, not just financially, but even it, it's generational. So like if mom and dad or raised them raised their kids in poverty, kids will have that for generations to come. And again, that's because it's a stronghold in the mind. In the mind, firstly, and that that thinking is what's past. Yeah. And the last one, which is number 17, is the spirit of death, um, which obviously when somebody dies, mm. the spirit of death is there, right? To 
Yeah, and, and I've seen it. We had a we had a friend, a family friend, who literally in one year, I think, seventeen men in their family died. Wow. And it was all men, and it was just very odd. It was like, wait, how is this even normal? Yeah. And that's when we were like, is there a spirit that's at work here? Yeah. Now, okay, so to bring it back into healthy, sometimes when we go down this list of all these spirits, it can feel very like oh, there's demons everywhere, you know. Um, but just remember. Just like a person who's operating under the Spirit of God, under a heavy anointing, that requires a partnership between us and the Spirit of God, right? Mm -hmm. For us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that requires a partnership Mm -hmm. of my will with God's leading. And so demonic things as well requires a partnership of my will and my agreement with demonic thinking and so when there can't while there can be a demonic attack that's unsolicited came out of nowhere just kind of blindsided um we always have the authority and the choice of whether we're going to come into agreement or come into partnership with it this is why it's important to keep the word of god present in your thinking because by keeping the word of god present in your thinking it keeps you sharp to recognize Mm -hmm. when those attacks happen Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like you know People recognize counterfeit money by handling a lot of the real stuff. Mm -hmm. Then when a counterfeit comes along, they recognize it. That happened to me when I was a cashier. And so by getting the word of God in consistently and surrounding Mm -hmm. yourself by people who are rooted in truth, then when lies come along, it's a lot easier to recognize. But if you're surrounded by people who have just from, you know, you'll be around people that don't believe the word of God, but if you're surrounded by them and there are a lot of the loudest voices in your life, it is going to distort your ability to discern between truth and the spirit of God and and falsehood and lies and demonic uh, influences. And so we really made that big. The whole point of this episode is how to teach your kids. I'm getting there. <laughs> so... Here, all those spirits, the, the access point or the way that demonic things get into our lives and into our thinking um, is by disobedience. When we disobey God's commands, it opens a door for spirit of poverty, spirit of fear, spirit of death, those things to enter into our life, right? And so rather than teach your kid, hey, here's all the spirits you need to watch out for, which would kind of make them, them out. be afraid of, it's, it's, a, it's the assumption that those spirits have power that we don't have. Rather, when we teach them the word of God, like, hey, this is why the, we don't, you know, yell at our brother and sisters, because the Bible says, be kindly affectionate one to another. Yeah. That's why we do that. And when we do this principle that the scripture teaches us, like, love your, love your neighbor as yourself, he's just not saying that to be kind. You're shutting out a spirit of murder and death, mm-hmm. right? You're, sp- you're just shutting out that spirit of uh, hatred and strife. So when we teach our kids, not, we're not teaching them how to fear demons, but we're teaching them. You have authority, and this is how you exercise your authority, by obeying these specific principles of God's Word. And when we do, it closes out the access of that spirit into our life. So years ago, when I was praying for one of our kids who was sick, I think it was Shiloh, and I went and sat by his bed, and, uh, you know, he was headache, I don't remember what it was. And so I just sat there, like every parent probably does, and he gave his list of his symptoms, and so I just started praying. And he stopped me in the middle of his prayer and said, Dad... You have to put your hand on me because that's how it gets inside of me. And he totally understood that in his mind without us ever explaining that there's a transfer of power Mm. from us to him through our words, but also with our actions, like placing our hands where that's where in James where it says lay hands on the sick, right? If anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and they might lay hands on them and they would be healed or they shall recover. 
And so he understands it, understood that already. So kids, whether they have language for it or not, understand that there's a dynamic happening. Mm -hmm. So when you teach them God's word, it's teaching them how to be offensive by obeying God's word, teach them how to be offensive against the power of the enemy. So back to Halloween and stuff like this. We don't let our kids watch, Jen and I don't let our kids watch anything to do with witchcraft, even if it's Bugs Bunny and the Little Witch or it's Harry Potter or anything like that. And Why? listen, listen, that's harder. That's uh, you guys know that's hard. And they're I mean, it's yeah. not like they've never watched anything like that. Right. But because some of it is so subtle, it's like, oh, is this imagination? Is this magic? Yeah. But we literally just have to be led by our spirit when those situations arise. Well, and, and so what I was going to say is we don't let our kids watch that, even if it's sometimes innocent. Yeah. We stop it. Like, I was, well, we were watching Andy Griffith the other day, and there was an episode of, you know, a haunted house episode, which Andy Griffith, I mean, it's really not going to get too intense, but I stopped the episode, and I said, hey, guys, we don't watch this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it dishonors the Lord. It makes the belief or puts the belief in our heart that there is actually demonic power out there that's stronger than us. Right. And that's not the case. There is no demonic power out there that is stronger than the believer, mm -hmm. right? Jesus said that all the prophets of, of time up till John the Baptist, right, which was the greatest prophet of prophets, he says, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John, right? So every believer has all authority over the demonic realm because of the resident spirit of God that's inside of them. So we never want to entertain this idea, this false belief that when a demon appears, we should be afraid. Right. We don't know how to respond. So when, when we see that, when we feel that, we teach our kids, well, this is what you do. When you feel fear, you say this, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the repetition of that passage gets into their heart where they really begin to believe God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that spirit of fear can be overcome because I have power mm -hmm. and I have love and I have a sound mind. Mm -hmm. If you find your kids in the past have been entertained with demonic stuff, uh, you know, horror movies. And there's such a bend right now in horror movies, uh, such a popularity, I should say, toward horror movies. What is that doing? You're playing with this idea that the demonic is so powerful that it can chase people down hallways and murder and violence and, you know, manifest. Even the other day I was watching, uh, kids wanted to watch the Marvel comic, Marvel movie, what is it, Venom? Mm. And uh, so I was like, well, let me check it out. And sure enough, about you know, five minutes into the movie, you realize Venom is just a demonic manifestation in a body is what it is. And I'm like, no, we're not going to watch that. Because then it gives us the idea that demons have all this power mm -hmm. and they're powerless before the name of Jesus. Like uh, my, my nine-year-old can cast a demon out just as good as any preacher out there because when he's solid in his faith, he can look at that thing and say, you're not going to do this to me. Okay, so which leads me to the foundation that we really build kind of back to that question almost of like mm -hmm. healthy versus unhealthy spirituality because if you notice as we take a narrow detailed look at these things it can kind of almost balloon the details into uh, being bigger than they are and it distorts a healthy perspective so what we do is we build on the foundation that bill johnson said this and it's, it's kind of become a mantra is that i live in response to the father not in reaction to the enemy and when people approach spiritual warfare and it's unhealthy it's usually because they're living in response and reaction yeah. to the enemy yeah. with the father as an afterthought yeah. And that's not healthy. What is healthy is, as sons of God who have all authority in heavenly places, 
that we live in response to the Father. That's the example Jesus set. He did nothing and said nothing unless the Father in heaven showed him or said it first. Mm-hmm. And so he lived constantly in a place of submission. And so when demons and demonized people would show up, Jesus was like cool as a clam. You know, he was just like, un. he was never shaken by it. And it's because he didn't build his life to respond to the enemy. He built his life to respond to the Father. Right. And so... We teach our kids. That's why we really try to, in our home, we almost, we don't teach spiritual warfare where it's like this real narrow focus and expand it all. But in moments of discipleship with our kids, we will mm-hmm. introduce aspects of it. Yeah. So like with one of our boys, he was being real divisive and real contentious with his brothers. And I just felt like I was hitting my head against a wall trying to deal with him. So I finally was like, you know what? Maybe we're dealing with like a spiritual mm. um thing here because the word does talk about what you bind in heaven will be bound on earth what you loose in heaven will be loosed Mm -hmm. on earth and so I found that sometimes when I'm like trying to discipline my kids and we are not getting a breakthrough I'm like maybe this isn't just child foolishness at work maybe there's actually a demonic spirit that is antagonizing this kind of behavior Mm -hmm. and so I will then go and I'll cleanse the house which is simply I'll go in and I'll ask the Lord Father, what spirits do I need to take authority over? And he'll a couple names will come to mind. So I'll take authority over spirit of strife. I'll take authority over spirit of jealousy, whatever. And then in place of it, I will loose a spirit of um, brotherly kindness, a spirit of unity, a spirit of um, contentment or whatever. So with my son, I brought him in and I actually pulled out the bondage breaker book. And I explained, hey, this is what a strong man looks like these are this is his name these are many of the fruits of when he's operating mm-hmm. and we have a choice to cooperate with that or not and so we went and we found a couple that kind of replicated or or reflected what his behavior had been and so with him we walked through some repentance prayers and i said okay baby i think i think this has been an operation this you're not bad But you have to break agreement with this way of thinking and this way of operating. And he's 13, you know, so he's older and able to handle that. And so we just prayed through that. And in some ways, I think it helps them to recognize that it's not their own sense of evil inside of them that drives that behavior. It's actually demonic lies and influence that can come in to try to manipulate Mm -hmm. them. And so then when they recognize that, they're like, oh. I can say no. Mm -hmm. I can take authority over that. I don't have to cooperate with Mm -hmm. that. So it empowers them both as a, as a spirit being, Mm -hmm. but it also empowers them as a son of God. And then it encourages them to take responsibility for their own behavior. And so, but we live in response to the father, not in reaction to the enemy. When the kids are little, um, ways that we introduced, you know, spiritual authority and stuff is by dealing with fear. That's usually the first one that comes up. We also had a thing with imaginary friends yeah. and that some people think that's totally innocent. You know, I'm not going to tell someone else that they can't do that. Um, but I just feel like it can easily become a doorway. Yeah, well, I would say well, imaginary friends. The few psychologists that I've read on that creating an imaginary friend it's usually to fill a vacuum like there's there's hurt and then now they create an imagination to prevent the hurt from the future so all the the, the christian psychologists that i've read kind of point in the direction of if it's a phase where they like you know have you know you know bob the giraffe whatever imaginary bob following them around if it lasts a couple of days it's probably innocent if it lasts a couple of months you need to start 
paying attention yeah. what's going yeah. on. Well, and I think yeah. one of our kids, one of our kids' imaginary friends became kind of taunting and tormenting, yeah. was like a friend for a while, and then started saying, like, you need to hit your brother, and you need a this, and you yeah. need, and so when they started, like, it started distorting, and we got to the bottom of it, we were like, whoa, yeah, yeah. that's not, that's, that's not okay. Good, so yeah. we taught them, like, they had to take authority over that, and they had to close the door to that, mm-hmm. that imaginary friend. Um, And so that's how the enemy will sometimes try to take advantage of a child's innocence and exploit their wounds. (coughs) You know, I'll say kids are far more sensitive to spiritual things before they have language for it. And so we don't want to dismiss imagination and creativity as, you know, being completely super spiritual awesome or super spiritual demonic. There's There's a large gray area in there where we have sensitivity to spiritual things and we have to learn how to navigate through that ideologies or belief systems as children, with our children. Um, and so imaginary friends, things of that nature, I'm trying to think of more examples, but things of that nature where, you know, I hear voices or I see things. We don't want to shut that down, you know, because our kids have seen like angels and they can mm-hmm. see things yeah. uh, in their imagination. I, 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 they've never told us they've seen them like, you know, physically seen them. It's in their imagination. I see yeah. this or whatever. We don't want to shut that down because that's a sensitivity that we want them to cultivate and develop. Yeah. Um, but you don't want them to be like, well, I see things before they happen all the time and I'm dreaming this and dreaming that and not give them some tools right. to navigate. This is from the Lord. This is not from the Lord. This is a pizza dream or this is a, you know, I got scared and therefore it produced this imagination in my heart. Yeah. Uh, you have to know God's word to navigate through the spirit realm. It's the only uh, literature, if you will, text that's been given to us that says, hey, this is what's clearly okay, this is what's clearly not okay. I think basically with kids, as far as getting practical, um, one of the most important things you can teach your kid is to think critically through what fruit will this produce in my life. Mm -hmm. So as they're learning to discern good and evil, how to deal with um, outside influences, be they spiritual, Mm -hmm. emotional, physical, whatever, it's one of the most important things to teach them is to evaluate what fruit will this produce. And so like when, when my sons have had a dream, like, oh, I dreamt that so-and-so was trying to hurt me and blah, 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 blah. I think maybe God is speaking to me. I'll be like, okay, let's look at this. If you believe that and you follow that way of thinking, what fruit will that produce in your relationship? And they'll be like, uh, I'm not going to be their friend anymore. I'm like, okay, that's divisive. Does God does God create divisions in our relationship or does Mm. he heal our relationships? And then they'll be like, oh, well, maybe he heals them. Okay, so maybe the fruit of that, if it's not good, possibly the source of that is not good because a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. And so teaching them like, you know, if they're like, I'm always afraid or this TV, like one of my sons the other day, he, um, he used a really ugly word at one of his brothers. And so when we got home from church, I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'll talk to you when I get back from running an errand. And so when I came back, he was like, hey, mom, I know what you're going to talk to me about. I already <laughs> apologized. And I said, what would you apologize for? He goes, for calling him a stupid ass. <laughs> and I was like, baby, where did you hear that word? And he goes, well, from watching, uh, I think it was like Marvel movies or something, some show or something. And I was like, okay. He goes, I've already decided I'm not going to watch that show anymore because it, it puts those words in my head mm. and then I say them. And I was like, well. I think that's wisdom, and you're yeah. discerning where that's coming from. So I'm proud of you for recognizing that and fixing that. And so teaching your kids to look at the fruit mm-hmm. of what they're doing, and that will teach them to discern the source that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the most foundational things you can teach your kid is look at the fruit this will produce if they stay on that path. Yeah. 
And you know, one of the things uh, that parents often fall in trap, we fall in the trap of, is this fear of my kid's going to get sucked into this and sucked into that. And that fear in itself will set you up for failure because yeah. then you go into hyper helicopter parent, Yeah, you know, and rather than teaching your kids how to fight, you're trying to protect. And I know there's a there's an age range where you have to protect, you know, from that zero to five years old, you have to protect. You can't just sit your kid in front of a TV and let it go. Right. Um, but after, zero to 10, maybe zero to 10. But even at five, six years old, you can have conversations. How does this make you feel when you see this or hear that? And if you know, and then so if we hear it, we feel, you know, angry or we feel frustrated, we feel afraid, then that's the Holy Spirit in us telling us, mm-hmm. hey, stay away from that. Yeah. Right. And so they kids obviously can navigate feelings a little better, mm-hmm. uh, communicate feelings better than, you know, thoughts and concrete concepts. Yeah. Um, so don't fall into that trap of, you know, well, I'm going to protect my kid from the world and keep him away from everything. When we see something on TV, whether it's a you know, movie or whatever, and, you know, like, like um, that was that movie, Black Panther. The, the tradition is when one king is changed to the other, the, the new king, you know, they put him in the ground, they bury ceremonially bury him, and he goes into a trance, and he talks to his dead father, right? Mm, yeah. So after we ta- saw that movie the first time, I looked at the boys and I said, how did y'all feel about that? And they're like, oh, that's kind of creepy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, why is it creepy? Well, because the Bible says not to speak to the dead, even our ancestors, right? Yeah. Not to speak to the dead. So, and I said, so do you think we should watch this movie in the future? And they're like, well, we probably need to skip this part, right? Yeah. Because that's that's not godly, right? Yeah. And the more we see something that's not godly, yeah. the more our conscience begins, the Bible says, is seared with a hot iron. We begin to say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's not going to really affect me, my life. Who cares if I see Black Panther talk to his dead dad, right? Well, what happens is you begin to say what God has clearly said is not okay. Mm-hmm. You're starting to say it's okay. Right. Because it sows seeds into their heart. And later when they're confronted with that in their own life, they'll remember that. They'll be like, oh, it was okay in Black Panther. Maybe it's actually okay. Yeah. You know? They have a friend at school. Well, I had a dream. My dead grandma said this to me. And they're not going to think, oh, dang, that was probably demonic. They're yeah. going to think, oh, Black Panther, it's okay. You know. Well, and this, this brings me to my next practical application is your role discipling your kid through moments where this stuff comes up is essential. Yeah. We can't just make a list of rules and expect our kids to somehow understand understand the spirit realm. It doesn't work that way. Like, I don't go and look at the rules on a wall and suddenly understand the mission of a place. Like, I, they help maybe, but what really helps me is if I connect with someone of that place and they explain to me the heart, the mission, the purpose, the goals, where they're going. And so it's, it's discipleship that infuses in your kids a wisdom, a discernment, an understanding. And it helps, like, rules without relationship equals rebellion. If you're presenting rules, but you're not offering the relationship that needs to come alongside those rules, then they're ultimately going to rebel against those rules. And so... Okay, so my kids and I, kind of like Stephen was talking about, when we watch different things, we will come across things that cross a line at some point. And so you end up watching it, and you're like, oh, we really shouldn't have watched that. So you take those moments, and you disciple your kids through those moments. Mm -hmm. You don't just leave them thinking that was okay. So we watched, I think it was another Marvel thing. Marvel obviously walks the line. Um, But it was some Marvel show. The As the series progressed... Um, it got more witchy and more witchy. And then there was this dark witch that came in. And so it got witchier and witchier and witchier. And so as it was progressing, I was growing more uncomfortable with the series. But I don't know, part of me was hoping it would redeem itself. So by the end of the series, I was very uncomfortable. We finished the series 
And I just literally felt icky and I felt like we needed to repent. And so, but all the boys were there and I was like, I don't want them to think that's okay. And so I, I just, we turned off the TV and I asked the boys, I said, boys, how did you guys feel watching that? I said, I felt kind of icky about it. It felt, I felt uncomfortable. How did you guys feel watching that? And they all started expressing, yeah, I felt, I felt really uncomfortable too. It felt too witchy. And I said, yeah. And I said, you know what, boys, when we make a mistake like that and we cross a line, I said, that uncomfortable feeling is the Holy Spirit trying to give us wisdom. Mm -hmm. And when we cross a line, we don't beat ourselves up over it, but we just need to repent and we need to learn from it. And they're like, yeah. So we just all kind of prayed together and we repented for not listening to the Holy Spirit. And then we cleansed the house of anything that we had opened the door to by watching that. And you could feel the atmosphere in our house shift when we did that. And so by walking them through that, by walking them through that, you give them an anchor. You give them actually a reference point in their brain for any future time that they mess up or cross a line because they will, they will mess up. They will cross lines. We do, we still do. Um, and so it's important that you're in your discipleship and walking with them through that, you're equipping them to know what to do when life gets a little bit messy when things don't work out quite like they expected, when they thought something was gonna be okay and it, and it wasn't. And so it's really important to walk with them in discipleship through those moments and through this growth process. Discipling your kids is one of the most important things you can put your energy into. So in summary, this has <laughs> got a little long, I may have to take some bits of this episode out, but in, in summary of this episode, it's really important to teach your kids the fundamentals that they are a body, they're a soul, they're a spirit, and that as a spirit being and as a Christian, they have authority over the spirit realm. They have authority over their own thinking and what they choose to agree with. And just like walking with a friend who's a bully can turn them into a bully, walking with a friend who is kind and good can help them become kind and good. It's the same thing spiritually. Walking with God and his way of thinking will shape who we are, and but it requires our agreement and our cooperation. Same thing, they can decide if they agree with and cooperate with the enemy, but it will produce bad fruit in their lives. So one, teaching them that they are fundamentally a spirit being. Two, teaching them that they have authority over their own mind, over their own behavior, and over the spirit realm because God gave them that. And then thirdly, teaching them to look at the fruit of the things that they do or teaching them to look at the fruit that will be produced if they cooperate with a certain way of thinking. Showing them like, hey, the enemy's plan is to destroy you. You don't have to be afraid of him because you have authority over him, but we have to be smarter than what he is. And we have to be smart. We have to think ahead and and so that we don't get caught in, in traps by being by being foolish and ignoring the things that God has asked us to give our attention to. And so, and then lastly, discipleship. You have to disciple your kid. Disciple them through those failures. Don't be afraid of those failures. Those failures, just like anything in life, their failures will give them a reference point for how to recover the next time they have a failure. And so those failure moments are really important. Um, and I feel like at the end of all of this, with my kids in those discipleship conversations, I always point them to the heart of God behind the rules and the things that he has, behind the rules and behind the things that he's asked of us. Because understanding God's heart behind things 
will break off kind of that religious sense of rules, 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 and will help them understand, oh, God tells me yes, God tells me no, because he loves me and he's looking out for me. Just like I tell my kid, don't put your hand on the hot oven because I don't want you to burn yourself. (laughs) Putting it in terms like that will help them understand it's a good God with a good heart who loves them and wants to protect them and wants to see them operate in the most powerful version of themselves when he gives us these boundaries. Boundaries are the lines we draw to safely love others and safely love ourselves or spiritually to protect ourselves because we want to be powerful in this life. So anyways, I hope that is helpful. Thank you, Stephen, for coming on the show and bringing all of your expertise with us. Um, Now you guys don't miss out the life hack coming up next is a beauty tool that I have recently discovered. It's a little bit of an investment, but y'all, it is worth it because I'm one week in and my skin looks a lot different. I can't wait to see what it'll look like in three weeks. So stay tuned for that life hack and we'll jump right into that. Okay, so today's life hack is, I found this, thank you, Instagram. Uh, it's called the Sola Wave. Maybe you've seen the ads for it. Sola Wave, S-O-L-A-W-A-V-E. And so I went on Amazon. I found one. It's actually a, normally $169, but the one I found had a $40 coupon. So I got it for $129 and it came with like the serum. I think it's cheaper than those price points if you get it without the serum, but I was like, hey, let's do the whole shebang. So I use it. It's uh, it's basically, it's a little red light technology it's a little wand and on the end it has like a little series of red light bulbs and it also vibrates and so you just rub it across your face in these certain like motions that they they give you a little tutorial on and it basically repairs collagen in your face and and I noticed like my results from just one week of use every night my results is that my complexion is a lot more even And the tone of my skin, uh, I feel like my pores are a little smaller and my skin looks a little tightened and a little lifted. That's just one week. Now, the before and afters that I saw people that use this for three weeks and a month or whatever were super impressive, which is why I bought it. And, you know, we're all just looking for something that's natural, non-invasive. And so... I've learned a lot about red light technology and uh, and it's actually super great for your for your skin. And so that is the life hack. Go check out SolarWave. Man, I should have asked them if they'd sponsor me. That would be great. Then I could have made this a commercial. <laughs> anyway, so that's your life hack. No, I'm not getting paid for this endorsement, um, although I probably should be. Uh, anyway, so check it out on Amazon or you can go to their website, solawave.com and check it out. And listen, guys, I'll have to... On Instagram, after I've used it for about a month, I'll post my before and after so you guys can see. And so speaking of Instagram, if you're not following me at Java with Jen, come follow me. That's where you guys vote on topics I'll share on the episode. That's where everybody voted to have my husband on today. That's where you'll see these life hacks kind of live and in person uh, when I throw them up there. So make sure you're following me on Instagram, Java with Jen. Otherwise, don't forget to share this episode if you thought it was helpful. And if you rate and review on iTunes, you guys, thank you so much. It it literally helps the show reach more people. So it seems like a small little thing, but it is such a big deal. So if that is you leaving reviews, you guys, I, I read every single one of them and they all touch my heart so much. So go do that on iTunes. 
if you haven't done that already. And go check out the merch store, javawithjenmerch.com. I just uploaded a whole bunch of new graphic tee designs and different styles. I'm going to throw some new sweatshirts up there as well for the fall. So go check it out, javawithjenmerch.com. And until next time, you guys, I love y'all. Come back next week for another great episode. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or, of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, we have merch coming. Stay tuned, and I'll let you know when it hits the stores. Until next time, remember, you will fulfill your greatest destiny one day at a time.